chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, Let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush isn't burning. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called to him out of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's an episode of the old TV show, The Lone Ranger, uh, where if you have seen images, I didn't watch a lot of Lone Ranger when I was a kid, um, but saw the pictures of him and Lone Ranger and his trusty sidekick, Tonto, and they are riding out and they get to a point where they are surrounded by Indians. They're surrounded. They're, they're all, they don't know what to do. They're in this canyon. And it's overwhelming. And the Lone Ranger says to Tonto, Tonto, what are we going to do about this? And Tonto turns to the Lone Ranger and says, what do you mean by we, Kimosabi? This is an important question in almost any context, especially in the context of the church. What do you mean by we? What do you mean by we? My friends, we are continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed. We're almost there. We're almost at the end. It's been a long journey to get through all of these clauses. We have been looking at what God reveals to us about who God is through the creed, about how God created everything, how the world is, why we are in need, how Jesus saves us, and what we can do about it. And today, we're talking about the phrase, I believe in the communion of the saints. I believe in the communion of the saints. As I spoke with the, with the kids earlier, the saint is a, for, a word we need to kind of clarify a few things. Saint is kind of loaded in our language today, especially if you grew up Catholic. There's a lot of icons of saints and different things like that. Saint just means holy. It means, it means holy. That's all it means. So the holy person in a kind of way. It doesn't mean you have a list. It doesn't mean any of those things. It doesn't mean people are worshiping you in some kind of way. It's someone who is holy. The communion of the saints, though, has had a few different meanings over the years. What do we mean by the communion of the saints? Is the, is the term saints refer to just a narrow few over the years, or is it a broader term? Some make a distinction between the church militant and the church victorious, which is a very old-fashioned way of, like old, old seminaries used to talk about it. I think like, especially Lutherans would talk about this a lot if you grew up Lutheran. But the church militant is the church right now, the church struggling in, in the earth, struggling with sin and the brokenness of the world. And the church victorious is the church already in the presence of God. These are not equivalent terms. 
But the, the issue really is, is like, do we mean by the communion of the saints, does the creed mean when we say this, do we mean the people living now or the people who lived in the past or somehow both? The question is pertinent to a lot of the Bible. For instance, for instance in Hebrews 12, there's this great phrase, the author writes, so then with endurance, let us also run the race that is laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up and fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I love this phrase, a great cloud of witnesses. And in Greek, it's really a great cloud of martyrs because that's the word for witness in Greek. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of martyrs, we should continue our race. There are different ways to be surrounded by a cloud. This was something we discovered when I was hiking with my family over the Christmas break, and we were hiking in the, the Chisos Mountains in Big Bend, and Ephraim really wanted to touch a cloud. He really wanted to touch a cloud. And so it wasn't supposed to rain, but it, we woke up on the last day. It was really cold, and it was misty outside. And it was like, we are touching a cloud. This is a cloud right now. And on our way in, like some, some clouds aren't as friendly as others because on our way out, we, it was snowed on us, it sleeted on us, and it rained on us, and it was 25 degrees, and we were in a cloud. And so there's some clouds you want to be in, <laughs> and some clouds you don't want to be in. As with the Lone Ranger and Tonto, there are two ways of being surrounded. You can be surrounded by your allies who lift you up and support you, or you can be surrounded by threats. What are we left with? What should we do about that? How do we tell the difference? How do we know which we we're talking about? In Exodus 3, God meets Moses in a burning bush. It's this amazingly famous moment. Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. The land you are standing on is holy ground, on ground that is set apart. All, there's, there's been a lot of movies about Moses, and most of them are filled with a lot of backstory that cover his birth and his early life, his relationship with Pharaoh. But all of that is kind of like, um, is not that important in the actual Bible. This is Moses, this is Exodus chapter three. All of it is prefaced to this moment. This is the whole point. This encounter between God and humans and Moses, the land you are standing on is holy ground. I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These three names... These three names come back a lot in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus makes a point about them that says that when God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am the God of the living and not the dead, that, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are not dead. They are living still. They are living with God. They are a part of God, a part of the God of the living. And the communion of the saints is this radical faith claim that our community as Christians is not limited by time and space. We are in communion with those who have come before us, not just in an idea, but in actuality. God was with us through those who came before us. And here's the, here's the tricky part. And we, in turn, are with those who come after us. It's not just a receiving end on communion. The influence of your life does not end with 
your life, you will continue to impact people. And not just in a metaphor. To say I believe in the communion of the saints is a two-way street. It is a two-way street. It is to say I believe in the communion of those who come before as well as to believe that God will use us for those who come after. Often it's easy when to, to, to kind of trip up our imagination when we come to the table to the Lord's Supper and we receive from Jesus. That, but that's half of communion. That's half of the thing. We receive from God and then we're supposed to go out and be the body of Christ. That's that aspect that we receive from those who shaped us, the saints in our lives, the saints who showed us what it means to be a lover of Jesus. But we are also witnesses to others in this great cloud. You are witnesses to others and you will impact their faith journey. You will impact their experience of eternity. The pressure is on. How many of you have been a part of a baptism at this church or another church? And yet, you know, completely forgotten the vow to support that child. They all kind of blur together sometimes, but there's a, there's a promise you make. There's a promise we all make. What is the impact your life is going to have when you depart and be with the Lord? What is the legacy you're going to leave behind? People talk about their bucket list. What is your after the bucket list? What are the things you hope happen because of your life? What have you done to impact others after you die? Who have you served? What have you given? What will you give? To believe in the communion of the saints is a two-way street. To believe that God is the God of the living, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the saints who have showed you what it means to, to love, to be responsible, to be honest, to be true. But also God calls you to be a saint, to be set apart, to live set apart, not on your own strength, not because you are awesome, but because God is awesome. And not to shrink from that responsibility and think like, oh God, I don't know if you want me influencing people. I'm not a role model. People shouldn't look at what I do or what I think or think about that. And yet to be a Christian is, is to be a role model in a sorts. You cannot be a Christian without it. You cannot be a Christian without this, this relationship with other people and this impact on other people. There's this great old movie uh, with Warren Beatty called The Parallax View. And it's, he's, it's a kind of a spy thriller in the 70s. Um, but the, the crux of, the, of it is, is he doesn't realize the impact he's making on the people around him. And his, his presence changes the situation. It alters the view of others. That's what a parallax view is, is you don't realize the impact of that you being in a room changes other people in that room. You being in someone else's life changes them. To receive the grace of Jesus Christ, to receive the mercy of forgiveness, is to accept this responsibility of witnessing to that and how you live your life, how you treat people, how you speak with people or don't speak, how you use social media or don't use social media. There's not one square inch of the world where Jesus is not Lord. And there's not one square inch of our life where Christ's lordship can be hidden if we see him as 
Lord. Now, this doesn't mean you need to put Jesus fish on everything in your life. That's that by no means, as Paul would say, by no means. The point is not, it's not like a marketing campaign for Christianity. It's who do you serve? How do you love? How do you live out what God has offered to you? Who are you discipling? Who are you serving? As Jesus says in in the Great Commission, he gives us this great example of what we should do and how we should follow him. Go, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. This is what we're committed to. This is what makes us set apart and holy. This is what saints have done. This is how you are even here today because someone made an impact on you. Someone made an impact on you. It isn't Jesus fishing everything. It is, it is these three things, discipling, drawing to the sacrament, proclaiming good news. Who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? And you don't need a formal discipleship relationship to disciple someone. As Bob Dylan says, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And you're going to show someone a path. And it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you got you to serve somebody. There's no neutral position. How are you proclaiming the good news? With your deeds, with your words, with neither. You are proclaiming news with your life. It is making an impact. Is it, is it good or is it not? Who are you leading to baptism? You're either leading someone towards God or away from God. How we live matters and impacts the people around us, and we must accept that responsibility and walk with faith and grace that God will be more revealed through our loves. Because we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we can be a part of it. And the thing is, is it's a blessing. It may seem like a burden sometimes to be like, oh man, I got to be holy right now. I'd rather be unholy. You know, there's a football game this afternoon. It'd be good to not think about others and just kind of zone out. Be in the zone. You can watch football and also be holy. It's okay. Um, it's, it's what you do with it that matters. But it's not a responsibility as much as a blessing. It's a blessing. God offers us this amazing gift to make an impact on people in surprising ways because others have made an impact on us, have touched us. And we don't that, want that road, that path of the Spirit to end with us. It is a blessing to be a part of the communion of the saints, but it is also an act of faith. God is the God of the living. Time and space do not limit that connection. May you remember that Christ has offered you an opportunity to transform the lives of others. And this is a grace. It is a gift. It is not a burden. The burden is a life lived only for yourself. That is a burden. A burden is a life of no impact. A burden is a life of no legacy. What is your legacy? Are you living now for that legacy? Or is there something you need to change? How you live, what you give, what you do to further honor God, is there something that is holding you back from realizing that you are a witness to others, that you are a role model, and that you are included in the us of God, and you are part of what God is doing to bring others into that amazing us of love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father,
We thank you for the saints who have showed us how to love and follow you. Help us to be saints for others. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.